episode of The Sheriff. Guys, I am so excited to do this episode tonight. One reason is I have a gentleman with me here that I felt like I've known for such a long time. This gentleman is an official referee, okay? He has put me in the penalty box several times, and we will get into that. Mr. Bob Langdon, how are you doing tonight, sir? Great, great. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on, Bob. I mean, you're you're 100% the first referee to come on this podcast. We just had a short discussion, you know, before we started recording here about that, you know, referees really are putting themselves out there as far as, you know, media and stuff like that. Now, as you said it, Bob, I was wondering, like, are they allowed to while they're refing to do stuff like that? Uh, They're you're kind of told not to like, they don't want you to ever speak to the media and especially doing podcasts and stuff like that. Like, yeah, they, they frown on it. And usually it's guys that are, that are done that, that do it. But no. Okay. And, and I appreciate that because I had no idea what the rules were with that. And I'm sure the listeners are in the same boat, but yeah. now what about that second part that you just said though? So when a referee is done, you know, I really haven't heard about people like refs doing shows, man, doing podcasts. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. Like I, the only guy I've ever, I've ever heard do anything like that is uh, Paul Stewart. And he, he does it quite often because Stewie loves to speak and people love to hear him. So he's got stories, but I haven't heard of anyone else. No. Right on, man. Well, dude, I am so stoked. Like there's a lot of things that I want to get into um, as I was discussing before the recording too, right, Bob, that like, I'm a really big fan of the game too. So like me, myself, man, like there's a lot of things that, that I'm wondering that I really haven't just had the time to sit down with like a, like a, you know, an NHL referee and, and, and tweak his brain a bit. Right. So, so we're going to get into it, buddy. But before all that though, Bob, like, man, you're such an interesting guy. We need to learn more about Bob Langdon. Now, I know you're from Woodstock, right? Yeah. Now, did you was that your whole childhood that you grew up in Woodstock? Born and raised. Born and raised, buddy. My, uh, I grew up, I started playing hockey here. My mom and dad, uh, when I was 13, they, uh, they got in the minor hockey board. So they ran, they ran minor hockey um, since I was 13. So I always had, yeah, yeah, back then you could go into the arena. I had the key to the arena. I was always on the ice and timekeeping. And that's when I started repping when I was like, probably that same age and my mom's my dad passed like 10 years ago my mom still runs minor hockey i'm the president of minor hockey here now so it's just yeah born and raised in woodstock and luckily i traveled though a lot because uh yeah, i probably would have jumped in front of a bus if i never left woodstock <laughs> no, I hear you, buddy hey man so okay so well first of all I, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about your father bob Thanks, right man. and and second off Man, do we ever know that minor hockey is in good hands in Woodstock right now? That's right. That's right. Holy man! So your mother's running it right now, and and you're and and so are you? Yeah, like I, I'm the president. President, you know, I don't really do a lot. I'm just around, and I, you know, I help out. But my mom, she she does it all. She has done it all forever. I think it would implode if it wasn't for her. So, good thing for that, dude. I think that's really super cool, man. So like. Okay, so growing up in Woodstock, yeah. got having the keys to these these arenas, man, that must have been like a pretty cool thing. Like your buddies, like like that must have been a big perk amongst you and your friends. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, it was awesome, man. I could, it, you know, that's back when you used to have early morning practices and stuff, and, you know, you had the key, and you'd go in early, and if there was any ice time available, you could go out and skate, and, yeah, you'd always be in the arena. Like, I'd lived in the arena, so it was pretty cool. No, no, Bob, I uh, obviously, you know, like I, I did my research and I, I wanted to learn like as much as I could about you, like before we did our recording. Right. And yeah. like I, I read this one article that was saying that you actually have been roughing since you were a kid, like yeah. like you loved it right away. And, and you would obviously you were a hockey player and you still yeah. are. But but you did the roughing from a young, young age. Now, was there anything that kind of attracted you to that or was it just natural just because someone has to do it? Like, yeah. you know, it's a competitive spot too. Well, I was at the arena all the time because I was there and I started timekeeping and then uh, I just got into refereeing and me and my, uh, my buddy, I grew up with Brad Kovacic. He's still, he's a linesman in the NHL. He got hired in 95. He's still there. Um, um, we grew up together. He's from Woodstock, another Woodstock boy. Um, yeah. We just started doing it. And, as I did it, I, I played junior hockey, I played junior B, um, played some senior A. And as I, as I was at that point, it was like, all right, I had to make a decision. And Angie Nigro uh, was my manager at the time. And he uh, he gave a call to Willie Norris, who was the, uh, the head scouter uh, of talent for the NHL at the time. And he came around, he said, hey, you should, uh, you should get into refereeing more. And I was like, well, I did it. So sure. And that's when I decided to flip like, when I'm just after junior hockey, it's like, all right, let's make a go of it. So that's what happened. Yeah, man. And like, and like Bob, like, like, I'm not going to lie, man. Like I, I'm very interested in that side of the game as well. Like no. I, I got like, I'm going to talk like it's such a big accomplishment here, but like, I actually have my level one, um, whatever it's called. I don't even know no. what it's called, but, but it's the level one. And the reason why I got it, brother, was because the elementary school that I went to, grade one to eight, you know, I was on the hockey team and stuff like yep. that. And I got two younger brothers. So they told me that they paid the refs, you know, 10 bucks a game, which back yep. then was a lot of money. You know what I mean? So I went out, got my level one, and I had the opportunity to ref my old school when I was in grade nine to ref my, my grade eight school yep. hockey games, man. I thought that was the coolest thing. Yeah. I mean, Bob, I was in control of the game. Both teams are listening to me. If, if I have a good flow, the game's going to be great. Man, it was at that point when I realized how big of an influence the game of hockey is with the referees, brother. Yeah, like you can, you can, you can make the whole arena turn on a dime with one thing that you do. And that's why back then it was always, if you were invisible and they forgot who the ref was, then you did a good job, but you always want to let them know that you're there a little bit. I know guys don't like to do it, but you wouldn't know Paul, Paul Stewart, or you wouldn't know Kerry Fraser or Paul divorce. You wouldn't know those guys if they didn't have some character back then they had character guys. Now they don't like that. They frown on that, but and that's the way it was. And you could do you literally the whole arena, both teams, they'd be like right on you all time. Yeah. <laughs> But Bob, don't you find it interesting that like, because I noticed what you just said there, right? About how it used to be, yeah. right? Compared to how it is now. Now, yeah. no knock on the current players, refs, and so on and so forth. But yeah. man, I'm such a strong believer of that too. Like, I believe that hockey's lost a little bit of character just on the way that kind of the game's gone with the rules and 
you know, the grandfathering out of the tough guys. And there's a bunch of components that I'm talking about, right? But the character yeah. part is, is a big part of that. Now, here's a big question to you. Now, the, the, the prime of your refing, like you said, at the highest level was from 2000 to 2006, would you say? Yeah. Okay. So now, what, what did you prefer personally as an NHL, AHL ref? The pre-lockout or the post-lockout? Oh, 100% the pre-lockout because that's the kind of ref that I was even after the lockout. Like I was going through, because uh, like I, we, we talked about earlier, my dad saved, before he passed, he gave me a book. He saved all my box scores from all the American League and NHL games I worked. So I was just really? flipping through them to check out the games that I worked, that I refed you and what penalties I called on you. And it's funny, <laughs> though, because when, when you, you look at a box score, I immediately can visualize that time and that penalty and that it's just a bizarre thing, but I can remember that game. But I looked at the the score or the box scores and um, right after the lockout, there's a game, the first game of the next season, because that's when they brought in the obstruction. They wanted you to call obstruction hooky. It was garbage. And it just, it went down, it's gone downhill from then. Since 2006, the, the league's gone downhill. That's too bad. It's just, they don't, because they don't want, they don't want, they don't want the fighting. They don't want. They don't want the physicality. They want the three wheel and stuff. But that doesn't put butts in the seats, man. Well, I mean, it's. It just seems like things that were allowed to go on with our sport before have just been banished. And I mean, the referees. I mean, you guys were a part of that too. So, like, I feel like your frustration. Like, it yeah. actually frustrates me, Bob watching an nhl game right now just with some of the things that happen like yeah. with the scrums and you know like i don't know man it just seems like it's just so soft almost bob you know oh, i and have trouble watching it i can't watch it because it's so soft and i say that i go no one's held accountable back when you were allowed to police themselves the players police themselves as a referee all you do is manage the game and i was always told uh by the senior guys you always throw that rope out, and sometimes you need to pull it back a little bit, but just let the players go. They'll they'll, right they'll lose themselves. And, and man, that's, I'm loving hearing that, man, because yeah. like, uh, trust me, Bob. Like, th like there was a time when when things were pretty good, man. Like with the NHL and yeah. you know, like the whole system and stuff. So, one one interest that I have, Bob, is is now there's many components of the show. A lot of people just think about the players, but like I had Jermaine Franklin on the show, um, one of the one of the top guys in TSN, and I was explaining to him how he's in the show as well, just because he's at that top thing for the for the broadcasting. Now you being an, getting to the National Hockey League as a referee, Bob, and like you didn't play one, you didn't play, you didn't do one or two games. You were there for a while, my my friend. Now there must there must have been a really big you know path to that, a journey to get to there. Just like a player, just like a broadcaster, just like an announcer, just like anyone else that's part of the show. I just, I'm just so curious, like, how it works with the refs. Like, what level really was it that you jumped in at? And then how was, what is, like, the normal system for a ref, if you could even say that 
to get to the National Hockey League? Well, back when I worked, I started because I started doing junior B in the OHA. Um, and then I started um, in the OHL. And then my first year in the OHL, I happened to be. It was funny because I was uh, on a family trip in Frankenmuth uh, doing some Christmas shopping. And there's a Colonial Hockey League game going on. I thought, hey, we'll go watch that. And uh, watching the first period, and they only had two. They had one rep and one linesman. And it was guys that I worked with in the OHL. And I went down. I go, hey, what's going on? Oh, uh, somebody didn't show up. You got your stuff here? I said, no. But they found me some stuff. So I literally went out there, and I had uh, player shin pads, Toronto Raptors, track pants on, a yellow jersey and a helmet. And I did lines. And after that, the guy that ran the league, Bob Myers, former NHL referee, he uh, he called me and says, hey, uh, you want to work some games? So that's how I started that. So you, you kind of you get in that way, you know, but then, then I worked the Colonial League. And then I made a decision where, you know, I'm going to make a go at it. I quit my job. I was building school buses. I was like, nope, I'm going. So I worked the OHA, the OHL, Colonial League, uh, the East Coast League, the Central League. And, and I worked it all in one year. I worked 135 games one year. And then, uh, so you, and you just get scouted like a player. So they come and they'll look at you, word gets out, and then you get hired. Like I worked uh, that year, I worked 20 games for Andy Van Helm in the East Coast League. And the next year he got hired. So sure enough, he's like, gives me a call. I was starter marshal in Interkip Golf Course on the putting green one morning and got the call from Andy Van Helm and he hired me for the NHL. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, it's just like a player. You just got to put in your time. So, buddy, that's super cool. So now, hold on. So let's just back up a little bit. Now, when you said that you you ref 20 games for Andy Van Helmen, like, can you explain that a little bit more? So what, he was like the head ref, so he oversees the other refs? He was the, no, he was the, uh, he was the uh, referee-in-chief or director of officiating for the East Coast Hockey League. Okay. And I worked uh, for Tom Barry in the Central League, and I worked uh, for Bob Myers in the Colonial League, and then... I think it was uh, Mitch Lamoureux, Brad Jones in the uh, United League. Like, I just worked all these leagues. And then, you know, your name gets out. And I ended up working some finals. And with Andy, the big thing was working for Andy. He came out and saw me. And then when he got hired, he hired me. So worked out well. Now, that's such a big name, right? Oh, yeah. Why? Yeah. And Andy Van Helven. So now, why is that? Did he ref for like an incredibly long time? Like, like why does that? Why is that name so familiar? Like, well, he's in uh, one of the only refs. There's a, I don't know how many now, but he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame as an NHL okay. referee. He's worked more Stanley Cup Finals, I think, still than any other referee. So, okay, he's around okay. a long time. Yeah, yeah, man. So, so he, so, so the success, the big games, and and is he, is he? How do you know how many refs like are in the Hall of Fame? Like, no, maybe four, five. Okay, so just a handful, and Andy's one of them. That's that's really cool, man. That's really cool. Now, okay, so now out of all these leagues, bro. Now, the OHL, because again, Bob, I just feel like I've known you for so long. Like, what years were you in the OHL? Because uh, I was in the OHL from 99 to 2002. Yeah, you can't – I think I, my last year in the OHL was your first year. Okay, so you you did ref me in the OHL. I think I refed you – you started in what? Were you in Mississauga first or London? I was actually in Sarnia. Sarnia, Kitchener, Mississauga. Oh, Kitchener. I, I, know I, I definitely refed you in Kitchener, I think. 
Okay, so I yeah, I know, because dude, like, like, man, I, I just remember from being, like, very young, like, yeah. you, McMorrow, you know, you're going, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, like, but the thing that I loved about it was that there were some refs that I felt like they would call a penalty and, like, they were, like, mad at us, where right. with you, man, like, you knew that it was part of it. You knew what the roles of the players were. Yeah. And, and Bob, honestly, buddy, like not even, you know, trying to trying to get, kiss your butt here. You really did let us play. And yeah, like, like so I, that if I called a penalty, it was probably a penalty because I rarely called penalties. And then when I was looking through all the box scores and your yours there, I think you might have you might have got I gave you when you were in Rochester a couple unsportsmanlike minors. There was barely any minors. Mostly they were just fights, and those are easy calls. Yeah. So now, now speaking of the fights, like, like obviously that's a big part of it. Like, you know, w- with you guys, what it used to happen a lot more before. Now, did you do – were you a linesman and a ref, or were you, did you just stick to one? Or, like, how, how does that work? No, I started – I was a linesman the first four years in the OHL – like 93 to 90 or 90, whatever it was, early 90s. I did four years on the lines, and then I switched to refing, and then I refed. That's all I did. Some guys over the years I know in the NHL before I was there uh, started as a ref, got bumped down to the lines, and then that way or started as a linesman, tried ref and went back on the lines. But uh, mostly you just you do one thing, and that's where you stay. Okay, right on. But, but is it clearly that the ref is obviously – you know, like a bigger role than the linesman. I mean, that's clearly the case. Well, he's, he's the guy, he's the decision maker, the linesman, good linesman can save a ref's ass all night. They can keep them out of trouble because good linesmen, they know who to watch, when to watch them after the play. And they're, they do, they're, they're, you know, we, we tease them because we just call them puck chasers and, you know, just open the beer in the backseat guy. But, you know, you know, but really, the ref's the guy that's <laughs> making the decisions, for sure. 100%. So, so, all right. So, like, let's talk about, okay, so when was this? This is, this is November 11th, 2001, brother. Yeah. Pretty big day for you, man. Yeah. How did it, how did it, like, how did that come about? Like, how did you learn that, that you were going to get your first NHL game? Well, the assignments come out usually two weeks at a time. And I remember seeing it and I was like, oh, all right, shit, here we go. So I remember my, my wife at the time, she went, uh, um, my brother-in-laws went, uh, mom and dad went, like, it was pretty awesome. Uh, but and, it was and- like, it was kind of nerve wracking, but it was like, this is awesome. Here we go. I'm going to Chicago. I was just going to say, so this is Chicago, man. So now yeah. this was, this was 2001. So w- it, it was the United Center, right? Yeah, it was still pretty. It was still pretty eerie because it was right after 9/11. It was only a couple months. That's right, November so 11th. Because I that whole year it was like they had you know you're in the states the the Star Spangled Banner's going God bless America people are crying like it's bizarre but it was it was still crazy exciting and when you're standing out there for the anthem it's your first game and they're still playing 9/11 tributes on the the thing it's like it was pretty emotional on many levels. Extra emotional for yeah. sure. Yeah, buddy. Wow, that is wild, Bob. 
So yeah. then, so then, okay. So, so where were you? So you were refing in the American League when when you found out about the NHL game. Like, is that how it was? Well, because we get look, we all get our same schedule. Because what it is is you're an American League guy, and the, the the games you the NHL games you get, so you can get both at any time. So you just when you oh. get your schedule and you see an NHL game on it, you're like, oh shit, here we go. So it's pretty cool that way. Okay, awesome. Okay, so that 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 kind of explains a lot because when I was in the AHL, I would see refs like I would be like, man, I I was watching you know the Leaf game last night and I saw him refing and and now he's yeah. doing our game or you know what I mean. So so that's how yeah. it works. So it's it's AHL NHL games are are together, but yeah. obviously the guys getting the NHL calls are the ones that are being being the most impressive. That now are you guys. Is is there like a board that grades you guys or like like how? Oh, we get supervisors. There's supervisors that the follow supervisors. guys. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They call, now they call them uh, game managers. I think maybe I don't know. Whatever. Whatever. It's 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 a it's an old boys club for sure. Um, it's a little different. My dog's freaking out. Get off. Hey man, we're we're big dog supporters on the show. Um. Yeah. The one, the one big thing that we try to support the most is is the Don Cherry um, uh, Pet Rescue Foundation, and oh, we also, awesome. yeah, oh yeah, so he's got that going on, and then I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you know, um, uh, a Patrice Whiffin and Trevor Whiffin, but we had Patrice on here. And she's also a big supporter. She, she has an adopted dog as well. So, so trust me, buddy. If, if, if is he still there? Yeah, he's around here. Yeah, buddy. When he comes back, we'll get him back on camera, man. Yeah, he just said hi, didn't he? That's a good boy. There he is. <laughs> but yeah, that's a nice dog right there, my friend. Okay. There you go. I I, I find that Bob, the some of the biggest characters automatically they have a best friend pet. Automatically. Oh. Like you just yeah. need to, you you need it, man. You need it. Like it's it's part of our value system. You know oh, yeah. what I'm saying? We gotta have that close pet. I've always been a dog guy, and I and I love it. Yeah. So there's so Bob, there, there's a few things that, that I'm very very interested in. Like like I I noticed that you know it was hands down you preferred pre lockout. Obviously, you're a real hockey guy, as am I, and yeah. we really miss it, man. I can yeah. tell just by the way that you're talking about today's game. Yeah, it's 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 terrible. It's like it's just there's no there's no passion it, after a whistle when you see guys on each team smiling at each other. Like, come on, like <laughs> you guys, like it's just it's a country club now, and it drives me crazy. And I don't watch it. The only reason I turned on a few playoff games is because I love what like my favorite of all is watching the Leafs lose because all my buddies are Leaf fans, and it's. It's hilarious to watch them cry every year. Well, at the beginning of the year, they're going to win the Stanley Cup, and then, and then they got excuses. So when when Montreal was beating them, it just it, it made my day. So that's the only time I watched. Bob, how how surprised were you about that, man? Like like I'm I'm you know I'm from Toronto, right? Like I'm yeah. a Scarborough boy, right? So obviously, you know, deep down, I kind of support the the Leafs. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And, buddy, I was so disappointed with what happened with the 3-1, you know, comeback. And I, I couldn't believe it. But one thing I'll tell you, though, Bob, is that game seven, like I've mentioned this a couple times on the show, 
I've had summer scrimmages with Al Sinclair, you know, at Birchmount Arena that have been more intense than that game seven yeah. on Toronto's side. Yeah, it's like and, there's no passion at all in hockey anymore. Nothing. They, no one plays with any intensity. I don't understand it. And I uh, I repped some uh, girls hockey, like U22 girls hockey tournament in Brampton last weekend. And I said after, I go, this has hands down more physicality and intensity than an NHL game. Unbelievable. Couldn't believe it. Really, though, Bob? Like, for real? For real. Like, yeah, I was like, this is like, these girls are crashing and banging and mucking. And there's no way you see that. You've maybe one out of every 30 NHL games you see that. But that's it. You'll never see it in Toronto. So Now, I don't, like, no, no the thing is with that, Bob, is like, like, I don't 100% put the total blame on the players. It just seems like it's the culture of the league right now. Like, the well, NHL. You're in that. Yeah. That's, that's, what, that's his thing. He wants, he wants a river skating society that doesn't hurt anyone's feelings. And, and people will just watch and, and, and no one gets offended. And that's all he wants. Like, he, he, doesn't, like the, he doesn't like the fighting. And he doesn't. He's he try he's been trying to take fighting out for years. But isn't it so weird how the other leagues, like in the United States, like the yeah. NBA, the NFL, like you know, like they're they're doing really well, man, with their TV ratings and and this and that. Yeah. And it just seems like the NHL just doesn't want to make any noise. Like they don't they don't want their players to be out there. They don't like you know like LeBron James and the NBA. Yeah. Like, like, don't you find that, that we're being limited a bit? That's 100%. how I feel. Yeah, you need that character. I said that forever. I said, you never went to a minor league game in the U.S., a minor league hockey game, cheap beer and fights. And there's characters and there's, there's good guys and there's bad guys. And you'll yeah. never see an empty seat. You'll never see uh, someone leaving because they're upset. And that would sell. And that would sell big time. And I don't understand why the NHL got rid of that. Yeah, man. And like, and like the thing is, is like, we've had got, we've had players on the show, um, a guy like Curtis Gabriel, for example, the gentleman that played in San Jose this year. Now there was an incident where he was battling to stay in the lineup. He's trying to do whatever he can do. Right. So obviously what he can bring to the table is if there needs to be a scrap for San Jose, Curtis Gabriel is going to do whatever he can to be the guy that does it because he wants to stay in the lineup and be that guy for his troops. Right. He was going so far as to trying to start stuff in warmup in the good old day ways yeah. Just because the games are so blah and he maybe yeah. it won't be intense enough to really get someone mad enough to even want to go in the first period. So he's trying to get stuff going and warm up. He's trying to like guys are going over the red line and, you know, he's sticking out his shoulder. Yeah. There was an incident with the gentleman on the L.A. Kings, you know, the uh, McQuaid or whatever his name was. Yeah. And then, you know. And Curtis, like, you know, he cross-checked him or something in warm-up, and then they ended up going in the game. And, you know, McQuaid got the better of Curtis. You can't win them all. But Curtis, you know, he wanted to get the fight, and he got the fight, right? And what happened is everyone talked about it. Everyone, all of a sudden, the spotlight's on the NHL again. Oh, everyone's looking. That's it. No one's watching because, because somebody scored three goals. Who cares? Who cares? Somebody wants to know that someone got punched in warm-up or something. Somebody went in the crowd and knocked out a fan. That's what they want. 
I know that's what they want, but listen to what happened. So I'm so glad that you just said that because listen to what happened. The San Jose Sharks got a call from the National Hockey League. You know, allegedly, you know, you better calm your guy down. We don't like stuff like that, you know, blah, blah, blah. What's the result of that? Curtis Gabriel is nine straight games as a healthy scratch after that game. That's ridiculous. So the players that even want to, you know, bust through this this limitation, they can't even do it, Bob, because the NHL won't allow it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's terrible. And it starts right at the top from Gary Bettman and it goes all his little people underneath. They just, that's not what, that's not the way they want. They think, they think this is one thing that they need and people will love it and people hate it. I know so many people that ex-players and ex-refs and they don't even watch hockey anymore. It's terrible. It's sad. And the thing is, Bob, is it is possible to tweak the game again. The game was tweaked, buddy. After that 04-05 season, the first half of the season, there was like 100 penalties a game. Remember that? Like, buddy, I was affected by it personally because that was the closest I was ever to making Buffalo. I played the whole preseason. I led the Buffalo Sabres in penalty minutes and fighting majors. I think I played like five or six out of the seven preseason games, right? Lindy Ruff, Darcy Regeer, and company in my in my send down meeting said, look, Mac, you did everything you could to make the team this year. Any other year, you'd be starting here with Petey. We usually yeah. start with two guys, but we gotta have three or four penalty killers just yeah. on standby because of the way the games are going. There's like 30 penalties a game, right? Yeah. So we hope to see you right back up, buddy. But this is the way that we're doing it. And we just want you to know that you that normally you would have made the team. I was told, I swear I didn't make that up. I was told that because of the way that the game changed. As an enforcer, oh, sure. as a fourth line guy, they really messed up that type of player. Yeah. And as referees, I don't know if you guys were as frustrated as some of the players that were so affected were. So frustrated because they're all over us like a neutral zone hook and they're saying, and it got to the technical part where a stick comes across on somebody. The stick comes across on someone. And if it's, if it's parallel to the ice and they're impeding them a little bit, even if it's not hooking them, but it's on them, you got to start calling it and crack down obstruction, hooking and obstruction, holding. It was just too much. Oh, that's a good boy. So now Bob, what did they say to you guys in the beginning, before that preseason started, before that that preseason that I played those five out of the seven games that they were calling a thousand penalties a game that you guys had to like kind of send a message to the players by calling it a certain way in preseason? Like, like what was the what was said to you guys? You guys just have to if, if a player did you have to like count the seconds or. Or was it as soon as the stick touched any part of the body, boom, it was obstruction? Yeah, they wanted it. They, they said, they go, we got to start right at the beginning, right at the beginning, and you got to crack down. If the ice, the stick's parallel to the ice and it's on someone and it's impeding them at all, no matter where it is, going through the neutral zone. Uh, anytime you try to hold your winger up, you know, it's holding, it's hooking. And it was just, it was too much. And they wanted you to call and call and call. So, and you could tell, like, as a rep, you're like, they're all over us to call it. And you could see the frustration in the players. Like you could sense it. It was terrible. 
it was tough, but uh, and obviously as the season went on, you tried to adjust and adapt. And then I finally, like, I know personally, I'm like, I'm not calling that. I'm not calling that. Like as a ref that I ref, I called goal scoring opportunities and high risk penalties. That's it. In the odd time, it depends if the supervisor's there, you had to call the flavor of the month, whatever it was. So, but that's it. I, the players, let the players, they'll sort themselves out. And I, I, I really wish they would go back to that. Yes. Yes. Now, I, this is this is so it's so cool to see this perspective, Bob, because you just like like I'm I'm a big hockey guy and I've never really heard like this much insight. Yeah. So I really appreciate it, buddy. I just want to say like as as we're going along here. Nice. So now that when the part of the game that's physical, obviously that's when you guys are automatically involved, right? So yeah, it, it not not necessarily has to be a full out fighting major fight but when there's a scrum when there's when there's anything guys are just kind of hugging each other you know the linesmen have to get in there then the ref has to kind of skate up and be like okay guys that's enough unless you want one back off now like did you did you find that you had to set the tone early on the games especially the 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 pre lockout when there yeah. was like at least one or two tough guys on every on each team right so every you know every fourth fifth shift you're gonna see a tough guy kind of coming out there and did you find that you kind of had to set the tone to be like listen this is what i'm going to allow this is what i'm not going to allow you know a face wash that's borderline i'm not going to call that but if you give them a shot you're you're getting a roughing penalty like how how did that kind of work with you yeah, well, mine, most guys, if they saw me in the arena before the game, they knew what kind of game it was going to be. And that's the thing. I'd go out, and my big thing was, uh, instead of calling a penalty, if there's a scrum at the net, I come in and I yell, either fight or fuck off. And that's what I do. It's like, <laughs> we're not going to jerk around. We're not going to be pushing and shoving. You're either going to fight or you're going to beat it. That's it. And that's And guys knew that. So I didn't have a lot of scrums, and there wasn't a lot of stuff like that. And and guys that would chirp, you know, they'd get punched in the mouth. So, it, you know, I, I'd allow that. And I'd let I'd let everyone, like yourself, everyone has a role on the team. And I let those guys do their job. So, yeah, it's like, and you, that's that's kind of what you had to do. And it's it's gone far from that now, that's for sure. Right on. Now, okay, now sticking sticking to do with, you know, either either fight or F off type of mentality – the fact that you have two strong, able linesmen, yeah. another referee, and then you got two heavyweights that are respectable that are going to yeah. stop once it's over. There's not going to yeah. be, you know, any extracurricular stuff. Did you like the tilts as a referee? I loved it. The referee had the best seat in the house. It was awesome. And I... I'd be like, I'd be pushing the linesman out of the way, yelling at him, like, keep throwing them, keep throwing them. Like, I'd love them, them to fight as long as they could. And, and if they went down and they wanted to get back up, I'd be telling linesmen, like, get back. They want to keep going. Let them go. Because the oh, whole, everyone in the building wants to see it. So let's keep going. Let's keep it going. Because I always said, if you, if, and I know a few times the OHL tried it, the American League tried it, the NHL tried it. If, if there was too big a space in between the guys before they fought, they, they'd want the linesmen to get in. And I'd always yell, not a chance, because if you break it up now, uh, they're going to fight in two minutes. So just yeah. let them get it out of their system. So 
And I loved it. That I, I, the more fights, the better to me. It was awesome. And it set the tone because those guys are fighting. No one's going to chirp. <clears throat> Excuse me, because no one's going to chirp. There's not going to be stick work because, you know, the things sort themselves out. And then that's the way it's supposed to be. That's right, that Bob. That's right. Now, I know that there's, there's a certain scrap that's a favorite of yours. I believe it was in Colorado, right? Yeah. Now, now, what was that like? Like, who was it? Was it Larocque and Worrell? Yeah, <clears throat> those are two big guys. Yeah, and, you know, it's like, <laughs> hey, here we go. And it was like everyone there was about like eighteen thousand people or whatever. Everyone's riveted on that, so it's awesome. And they fought and they stopped and we carry on the game. It was great. Yeah. Now, now, there's also been times where it hasn't been easy, right? There's some players that, you know, in an emotional heat of the moment, the speed that hockey is, like, man, the, the, the 18 to 20,000 people in the stands, like, it can get really turned up zero to 100 real quick, right, Bob? Yeah. So, like, oh, yeah. sometimes players, you know, they, they lose their shit. You know what yeah. I mean? Do you remember a time where it was like, like you, it might have got a little scary, or you might have been worried that you know they're gonna review this game because of it? Like, you know what I'm saying? Does anything stick out like that? Like, we're gonna get to that b- brawl in Flint because oh, I yeah. know about the brawl in Flint, my friend. That, that was Trust pretty awesome, me, right? But yeah. but NHL oh, there's, though, there's was there time. ever anything like that? There's always times like. The guys just snap and like you know what? Usually the linesman grabs it, but I'll grab guys and I'll talk guys down. Like I, I, that's the one thing I missed about being a linesman is grabbing and throwing guys around because it was fun. <laughs> so, so I'd get in there as much as I could too, and I'd grab guys and toss them around. And you know, you talk guys down because you know when they're freaking out and they're looking right through you and they're blowing snot bubbles because they're so fired up. You just got to talk them down, or if they don't talk them down, you physically see you later. You you take them yourself, but. Yeah, like, and there's been incidents happen, like the Perjogan incident when he he two-handed Stafford in the face uh, was Hamilton, Cleveland, and that, oh. that went on. I was like, some that's the worst thing I've ever seen in hockey, and it happened right in front of my oh. face. But it's just like things happen like that, and then the rest of that game just went downhill because it was just a fight fest. But oh yeah. man, okay, so now I did read that. Yeah. Ooh, so Bob. Wow, man, so that was pretty – that was the worst thing that you've ever seen? Easily, yeah. It was like – it was a two-handed baseball swing in his face, and I swear it broke the, his teeth off and his gums. And he was sitting there, and he was convulsing. Stafford was convulsing because he was choking on his blood. He's convulsing on the ice. And I remember it was uh, – I think it was uh, Murray and Kartner uh, grabbed yeah. Karajogan, and they were just beating on him. And I'm like – I would beat on him too. So we yeah. got it all settled down. And I ended up giving, uh, I don't think I gave Carton or anything. I think I gave Murray a minor for roughing. And then the most you could give Perjogan is a match. Like that's all I could do. But I also gave him a, a minor penalty to cancel out the other one. And I went over and it was Nick Fatio and Roy Summer, coach in Cleveland. And I said, and Roy's losing his mind. I said, Roy, he's like, Langs. That's that's bullshit. Like that's crazy. I said, I know. I said I wanted to punch him too. Like I would have snapped too. But that's the most I can give him. It's out of my hands. And then he's like, I know, I know. And he was just going crazy. So then, of course, him and Nick are mad at Hamilton's bench. So then 
I think there was like five fights the rest of the game. It was just a crap game after that. It was nuts. Like I, it was one of those things I was coming around behind the net and I was like, I just reacted. My arm went up. I was like, I couldn't believe it happened. Crazy. Yeah, man, that's absolutely wild. Now I, I, I keep seeing this Flint, Flint brawl, Flint brawl. When was this? When was this? Do you remember like the year? Like it was, it must have been before 2000. So I was a linesman. So it was probably 90, 95, 96, maybe. Okay. And it wow. was two minutes into the game. I was, I dropped, I remember I was in, in front of, uh, it was Flint Muskegon. I was in front of Flint's bench. Um, who was it? Jody Murphy was Flint's tough guy. And he's okay. got, he's got a minor penalty and it was less than two minutes into the game. I dropped the puck. Or before I dropped the puck, they're kind of chirping back and forth because there was a little piece of glass in between the benches. So I get up on the glass and I'm like, come on, come on. So I'm ready to drop the puck and they're going at it again. So I get up on the boards because they're starting to, you know, Robbie Nichols, um, Billy Stewart's coaching in Muskegon and Robbie Nichols is coaching in Flint. Awesome guys, characters. Like they made me chuckle like my whole career. I love those guys. Um, and they're going, they're starting to go at it. And then I'm up on the glass, and then all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see Jody Murphy left the penalty box, skated as fast as he could across the ice, and jumped in Muskegon's bench. And then, oh, yeah, and then oh yeah, a helmet came down on his head. The coach threw a helmet at him. They're fighting, and it just went on. And it went on and on. And as linesmen, you grab, you take a fight. You stay together with your partner. You grab, you grab a fight, break it up, take them off. So that's what we started to do. But then security kept letting them back on. So no matter what we did, so then we just went around to make sure no one was getting beat up bad. And then security, the arena securities, they come on the ice to try to try to break up fights with their boots on. And it was a mess, but it was hilarious. Brad Beer was the, rat. was the rink. And uh, when we finally got it all sorted out, he's in the room, he's shaking, his hands shaking, trying to write down numbers. And it, I was, it was funny to me. I, I love that stuff. How packed was the rink, Bob? Do you remember? Well, it was funny because it wasn't full, full. Okay. I think that arena might see four or 5,000. They might have had yeah. like 2,500, but it was on the radio. So then when oh. we came back out, uh, we, were, we were probably off the ice. We sent the players off after that um, to their rooms, and we went to try to sort it out in the ref's room. And then uh, when we came back, the arena was packed. It was like 20 minutes. The arena oh, was because it was on the radio. Yeah. So, so the whole town came in. Yeah, and then after that, I think we had a bunch more fights. We ended up with like two or three players on each bench at the end. By the end of the game, uh, I was it was awesome. Like that was fun. Jeez. And I was a linesman at the time, so I got to break up tons of fights. It yeah. was tiring, and I deserved all the beers we had on the way home. But it was a good time. Yeah. Now, what's your size, Bob? Because you seem like pretty good size. Uh, I'm six three. I don't know, two two twenty, two thirty. So, you know, about the size of an AHL heavyweight? Yeah. yeah, like, yeah man. like I, I played junior B with Ryan Vandenbush before he got drafted. I played with Barry Potomsky, who was a fighter, and in, in, played in L.A., Jordy Kinnear, all these big guys. So at the time, we were all kind of the same size, but I went my path, and they went their path, obviously. But I remember repping Bushy when he played, when he came down in Wilkes-Barre, and, and him and Bombie would fight, and it was, it was, it was fun times, but remember all these guys and I think I'm all right I'm not a small guy so which was good because a lot of refs are smaller guys so yeah well 
Bushy's actually going to be our next guest. We oh, record, yeah. yeah, we record with him on on Tuesday. We're pretty excited nice. about that one. That's going to be it's it's huge. Um, yeah. I've been a big fan of Ben and Bush for a long time. Yeah. Uh, I used to have a girlfriend that was from Simcoe, Ontario, yeah. and I think Ben and Bush is from like the town like Del next High. to Simcoe, Delhi. That's right, Ben. Yeah. They have the big I played junior rally there. And, sorry, go yeah, Tilsonburg and all that, yeah. right? And um, yeah, man, Rob Blake. Like, there's a bunch of players that are from that area, right? Yeah. And so ever since then, I've always paid attention to Vandenbush. And man, that guy, man, he's I, I like. And you know from seeing the fight so up close, Bob. Yeah. You know that there's some players that are like different types of animals, like oh, right. Yeah. And I just find that Vandenbush was one of those guys, man. Yeah. Don't you? Do you agree with that? Yeah, he was like I remember it because he was a small, skinny kid when I played with him. He got drafted by uh, Cornwall, and that summer, all he did the whole summer is go to bush parties and fight. That's all he did. That's how he practiced. Yeah. And then he got his big name. Uh, he hit Owen Nolan from behind, I think, at training camp, and they go, holy, this kid's got some big balls. And then he started putting on weight, and then he started uh, – yeah, he was – it was awesome. And then I remember when I, I'm rapping him, I'm like, bushy, and I, you know – you don't, you know, these guys and guys, that's why it's good to get along with the ref because if there's any little thing that can go one way, it's not going your way. So, yeah, pretty good. So, I was <laughs> joking around with Bushy on the ice. So, yeah, I was a good guy. Right on, man. No, so I, we have something very in common. I, I thought it was really cool when I read about this. Now, I remember, I don't know, it was my second to third year pro. All the guys on the Rochester Americans got to go to the Sabres games for free. We just had to call ahead, and they let us all in. We usually go as a group of three or four guys. One day I go with Jason Pominville, right, a guy from Montreal. And, you know, we're going to a Pittsburgh, uh, you know, Sabres game. And there's, like, this thing that, you know, Super Mario, like, he never he never would play in Buffalo. Like, he'd always kind of get the, the night yeah, off. Yeah. I don't know if it's because Montreal's so close. Maybe family came to see him, and they kind of gave him that night. Or I'm not really sure why, but he never played. So, he's, so he was a healthy scratch, per se. Now, we stayed around after the game just to meet some of the guys or whatever. And then the visiting team's there. And, you know, I see Mario. The guy's six foot six. He's one of my all-time favorite players. And I'm looking yeah. at him, man, and I'm starstruck, Bob. And then Pominville's like, hey, do you guys you guys want to meet Mario? We're like, man, shut up, man. You can't, you, you can't do that. You don't know him like that. He's like, yeah, I do, man. We're from the same area, man. And he goes over there, and he brings Mario over. Right. And I've never been more starstruck, man. I shake this oh, guy's yeah. hand and I think I'm shaking. Now, I read that that he's that he's one of your favorite players as well. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was my idol. Like when I played the last year, I played minor hockey uh, uh, midget. Mine, I wore number 66. So I loved Lemieux. And then um, and then all of a sudden I, I I got when I got hired, he wasn't he was still off with his uh, fighting the cancer. What he's the Hodgkin's yeah. lymphoma or whatever. And but he came back my second year, so and I had his I had his uh, you know his jerseys and stuff. Dave, relax, man. Dog. And then uh, I went over. I had really I remember I had really bad lace bite, uh, so I went over in the morning to the it was at the old Mellon Arena. We stayed across the street with Marriott, and I went over, and I'm in the trainer's room, and I'm like I have bad lace bite. He's trying to put some gel and stuff on it, and I you know all of a sudden Mario's sitting beside me on the trainer's table. 
and he starts telling me stories like, Hey, I, and I'm, I'm trying, I'm like, Holy shit. I'm thinking I'm just acting, you know, super cool. Like, yeah, whatever. It's just another player, but this is Mary Lemieux beside me. Yeah. So he's telling me like, well, you take two big bandages and you put peanut butter in between it. And that's what you use in a pure lace bite. And I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. There's no way I'm ever going to try that. Cause I don't want peanut butter in my skate, but I'm like listening to him. Like, yeah, whatever. So then we just got talking and you know, I'm telling him, yeah, I'm not telling him my favorite player, but we're just shooting the shit and stuff. So he ends up signing a jersey for me, signs a stick for me. And and then before the game, I got my picture taken with him. And I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. Like, I don't yeah. knew, but I'm just pretending like, yeah, it's whatever. But yeah, it was, that was pretty awesome. But then when you're on the ice, I remember first thing, he's like, uh, somebody whacked him. And he he, he he told me to wake the fuck up. And I'm like, all right, all right, we're back in a game here. So that's good. Yeah. Brings you back well, to reality pretty quick. Yeah. Now, now that kind of that kind of leads into the next thing I was gonna ask you. Now, there's a lot of momentum controlled by the referee, Bob, right? And like it can be, and what I mean by that is like some refs like yourself, if the game is being played honest and both yeah. teams are being fair, you're pretty much like the old saying, you're putting your your whistle away, right? Yeah. Okay, so now there's there's got to be times where the game starts getting a little rough and there's a big hit and then there's a another big hit in retaliation but maybe it's borderline where the elbow might have been up a little bit yeah how long did you usually let things go before you had to blow that whistle well you knew when it was time and that got into the whole tim peel thing about needing a penalty like uh when he got busted on camera, but all refs, and if anyone tells you they didn't, they lied, but there's a, there's a time in a game where you, you could need a penalty, whether it's a 10 nothing game and a team's being a dick and you're like the team that's winning. So, all right, we'll find a penalty there. Cause you don't have to, as a ref, you don't have to find a penalty. Enough things happen. So you can just pick one. So if your game's starting to get away, like if there's a scrum after scrum and you warn them, then the next scrum you go in the first, the, literally the first guy or, the guy that's being the biggest dick, well, penalty. And you just call one. You don't call like Quince. I hated calling coincidentals. One on each team. Doesn't do anything. But you just call one. And it's like sends a message. All right, well, we got to smarten up. Or you just, that's what you have to do. You just have to, it's it's game management. And, and I know hockey's gone away with managing a game. They want a penalty as a penalty. And you call it from the beginning of the game to the last. Well, that's not the way hockey works. It's like, of course, a penalty in regular or preseason isn't going to be the same standard is the national hockey league finals and it's the same as a game at the beginning of the game it's not going to be the same as in overtime but it's managing the game it's knowing when you need a penalty and when to let them just play and sort themselves out and good refs do it but that's the thing is you can't teach that and and the nhl has gone to getting ex-players to be referees and trying to do that well they they don't have the referee mentality so they have the player no. mentality and it's so it's hard to teach that. So it, I don't know how it's going to go, but it's, I, 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 that's, I think they need a lot of the old school guys to come back to supervise and be officiating managers. And I know obviously the league doesn't want that. So yeah. Yeah. So now Bob, do you, now you've done it all. Like you've, you've even refed in Europe, man. Now yeah. is it, is it Denmark? 
Yeah, I went to, I, I taught the refs in Iceland and then I went over to Denmark and I refed uh, and instructed their officials. I, I, I refed eight games there um, in the odd set league and then back then. And it was wide open and they were like strict. Like when, when I was over and their big thing was, they said, we have trouble with the coaches arguing every call with the refs. Well, I was there eight games and I never heard from a coach one time. And I just, and with Hockey Canada and amateur hockey and hockey like that, in the IHF, uh, they have referee, referee positioning where you can't go behind the goal line. You definitely can't go behind the net. And uh, you use the half piston and the half wall. And there's that's the spots they want you to be at. Well, pro hockey in North America, you go where you need to go. Like you'd be standing on the back of the net if you have to. So when I was in Denmark, I'm, I'm, I'm letting them play. I'm letting them, because there were some guys that I had wrapped in the American League the year before and they're over there playing. So I recognized them when we're shooting shit. So I had that same standard. So they're out there, but there's not a lot of rough stuff, a little bit, but I'm like wheeling all over the ice. I'm wheeling behind it. I'm letting them rock and roll. And, and they loved it. And they wanted me to teach that there and, and kind of bring that style there. And, you know, I, I don't think they did, but it was a lot of fun. Like it was, it's wide open. The fans over there are nuts. They're like soccer fans. It is quite the experience. Like yeah. I got the opportunity to go to the UK and yeah. I'm sure that in a lot of ways it's similar to Denmark because it's, oh, you know, sure. it's a newer sport to them. You yeah. know, they have an opportunity to, to party that way and it's a new thing and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's great, man. And it's exciting. Now, oh, yeah. here's another thing that I'm sure like a lot of a lot of fans and players are, are, are curious about, Bob, is the whole chirping part of the game now again man this is another part that is completely different than it was before it yeah. used to be a game within a game like yeah. as far as the intimidation and the and, and all that kind of stuff now coaches players trainers fans everybody's yelling at the ref yeah. everyone's yelling at the ref at some point in the game yeah. now you must give it back a little bit, though, Bob, right? I did. I know you're not really supposed to, but I did. I had fun with it. I thought it was hilarious. Like, I'd tell a guy, you know, wow. I told a lot of coaches to go themselves, but they knew it. because I And I they, I was honest with them. I said, you'd rather me tell you that than give you a bench minor 100 times out of 100. So they're like, yeah, they, and they respect that. So And I'd give it right back to players, fans I'd have fun with, but – in the American League, NHL, like you didn't even, you couldn't even hear anybody yell at you just because it was a big muffle. Like it yeah. was just like a big roar. In the minors, you could hear stuff and it, it is, you just had fun with it. But there were some good chirps. You know, I always chirp back players. That's half the fun. Yeah. I, I was reading this one article where um, Pat Quinn got mad at you because you, yeah. you were chirping Domi back, right? Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. Do you remember that game or not really? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. It was like it was behind the net. I do I forget who he was going at it with, but they were pushing and shoving, and I was yelling at him. I said, smarten up, you fucking big headed fuck. Like just something like that. And he's chirping me, and then I just told him to fucking fuck off or whatever. And then Pat Quinn goes, Hey, quit treating my players like dogs. Yes. I was like, I try not to laugh, so I'm not looking at him. Because Stewie Pat Quinn was fun because I was rapping with Paul Stewart and he before the game we're skating around and he goes watch this so he goes over to Pat with a pack of free dent gum puts it on the board and Pat's like trying to be all serious he's like what's that 
He goes, well, this is if you because Pat Quinn's big thing was he chew his gum and he throw it at the refs. That was his big thing. So Stewie oh. goes, hey, if you're going to throw gum at me tonight, chew this because it won't stick to my shirt. And even Pat Quinn cracked a smile. It was hilarious. Like, he even smiled and laughed a little bit. So it was good. And when you get yelled at by yelled at by a guy like Pat Quinn, it's like, yeah, he probably deserved it. So it's like Brian Kilray and when, it, when I was in the OHL. If he yells at you, you probably deserved it. So, But it was worth it because I got to yell at Domi. So. What kind of – did you have any type of relationship with the Hunters? Like, like as oh, far as – yeah. yeah. Because I remember from when I played junior B in Petrolia, I'd see their dad all the time at the ring. Oh, you, them. Played, you played in Petrolia? No, I play, I remember playing against them. I played against in them in Petrolia. But when you go into Petrolia, you always see there's a hunter. Hunters, that's their thing. And then so I, I left in the OHL when Mark coached in Sarnia. And then I, I left in the American League when Mark coached in St. John's. And then back when I came back to the OHL, I was repping when they were both in London again. And actually, my last, I did a farewell game in 2015 in London, and I had such a good relationship with them. Uh, they gave my family their private box for the night, so that was awesome. The Hunters are great hockey people. The Leafs made the dumbest move ever, letting Mark go away. Terrible, but great. Yeah, people. I mean, I mean, Mark was actually our, our last recording, <laughs> okay? Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah, I'm very close with the Hunters as well. And, you know, but like, I, I just think that Mark, Mark and Dale, like the situation in London's so good that, that, that I think that Mark just wanted to go back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they got it. They have it pretty, pretty made there. Like yeah. they have that a fantastic facility. They're, they draft. They always seem to have like 700 drafts in their pocket for trades at the <laughs> deadline. Like they're just a smart, smart hockey people. And, you know, they're into developing players now and I get it. So yeah, they're, well, they're pretty happy. I was saying, I was saying to Mark that I mean, the London Knights should probably be in the AHL instead of the OHL because it seems like they develop the most NHL players oh, out sure. of all the teams. Yeah, <laughs> right. Oh yeah, oh, it was great. I loved going in there because if Dale knew I was coming in, like usually in the room you'd get. And back, like my final few years in the OHL, they really didn't want beer in the room. They didn't want in beer in the room so there was barely any beer in the room but if they knew i was coming in a lot of the cities would put you know six or 12 beers in the cooler for us um and then uh, there was a few refs that still got beer but when i went into london they knew i was coming in there uh, instead of 12 dale made sure there was always 18 bud lights in the cooler it was great well he treated us really well there <laughs> that's awesome buddy oh yeah now now here's another question i have for you so now the major junior level yeah. The major junior level and then the minor pro and then the NHL. Like, and when I say minor pro, like I don't even mean the AHL. Like I'm talking yeah. about like the lower leagues. Is there is there a made is it a major money difference? Or like like how how big of a difference is it from the OHL to the NHL? For pay for refs? Yeah, like you don't have to say numbers, but like is it a major, major difference? Uh the OHL, they, they pay pretty poorly, I think. Do they? Like, well, I'm sure they still do, but it depends on what league you worked in. Like, you go, yeah, well, and it was also a bonus then because when you worked, when I went over and worked in the East Coast League or the United League or essentially I got paid in U.S. dollars, so I'd That's bring right. that back. And at the time, it was like 54 cents on the dollar, so 
I would like, I would want to go over there all the time. And the OHL, they, they pay, you know, a third of that, what you get paid over there. So, yeah, right on, right on. And so, Bob, so like, I, I know, another thing that I was kind of curious about was like the, the security for refs. Yeah. Because, Trust me, man. Like there's especially like the like I played in the I played in the notorious LNAH. Okay. Yeah. And in that league, sometimes, especially if the games were like super important, like we're for a playoff spot or in the playoffs, sometimes it can get pretty messy, man. And if the refs made some controversial calls, yeah. like I would always be like, man, like like are they gonna be all right, man? Leaving the yeah. arena here, like, 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 what kind of setup do they have for you guys? Is there anything, any type of security, or is it the same security the players have? Or well, in different in different leagues and different every arena is different, every league's different. Uh, like the NHL, we always had our own security, and you know, you'd you'd always go in a secure door and that. But in the minor league, the OHL, uh, there was no, there was like the the arena security guys that were like the $5 an hour guy. So they didn't care. Yeah. So, but I, I never experienced anything like that, but I know guys that had to get police escorts out of the arenas and stuff like that. The only one time I ever um, experienced fun security two times, actually one was in the central league it was in Macon, Georgia. Um, you know, it was a pretty, it was, it was a rough game and I let them beat the hell out of each other. And, you know, it was fun, but the fans were all fired up and they all gathered out back because that's where they met the players. Well, that's where we go. But uh, the guy that was driving around, he was driving me around at the time. Um, he's like, uh, he's like, don't worry. Fans won't bug you. I go, and I, I wasn't really worried. I go, okay, what do you mean? He goes, I'm packing. He had a he had a gun under his arm and he had an ankle gun too. So I'm like, okay, we're good. And then now, did Toledo, you say Georgia? Yeah, I was making Georgia. Yeah, the making whoopee back then was pretty good. And then uh, I refed in um, in Toledo, the old Toledo barn, because you used to have to walk up into the crowd downstairs to go onto the ice as a referee. So you'd have a state trooper behind you and a state trooper in front of you. And that's how you, no you that's how you got onto the ice, off the ice. That's how you got to your car. Like they would walk you to your car, even if you didn't need it there, just in case so it was Toledo. But yeah, I know I, I I've seen many guys and heard of many guys that need the police escorts, but it just depends on where you are. No, yeah, and 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 thanks for show, for sharing that. So now, obviously, being a referee, Bob, like. You know, you have the final say, you're controlling the game. Everybody's human. Everybody makes mistakes, right? So so obviously there's been times where where you've personally felt after you made a call that, ah, you know what, I probably shouldn't have made that call. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's been times over the years in all levels where all of a sudden your arm shoots up and you're like, God damn it, you want to chew it off. Like you're just like, ah. And I know referees, some referees, especially younger ones, but they get they get themselves in trouble because they think, oh no, I got to make a makeup call, and that's just that just snowballs into a lot worse. So if you make a bad call, you just have to eat it, pray they don't score, and it is what it is. One time I remember I was refing the old United League in Port Huron, and I counted, and it was too many men, and I'm and I'm like I'm looking, and I go one two three four five, I'm like, or I went one two three four five six, I'm like. One, two, three, four, five. And my arm went up. I thought, too many men. And then as my arm's up, we're going down the ice, and I'm like, oh, they got the right amount of men. And so I just killed the play. 
<clears throat> and I went over to the coach, and I think it was Craig Pahalski, the coach of Fort Huron. I go, Fuller, I go, this is what happened. I apparently can't count. I look like an asshole enough right now. So there's no penalty. We're going to go drop the puck over there, and we're going to go pretend that didn't happen. And he's, like, shaking his head, but he's laughing at the same time. It's like, sorry, man. It's like, it, it happens. Like, you just have to move on. But usually you just roll with it and call it, but there was like, there's like, no way, I'm not calling that. So I just ate it, looked like a dick for five seconds and carried on. Exactly, buddy. And, like, the thing is, is that, you know, everybody's human. But yeah. the thing about the refs, though, is, like, you guys are or, or, or like goalies, man. Like, you guys are, are, are very, very different, I got to say. To want to have all that responsibility yeah. is, is a different type of breed. It takes a lot of character, man. And yeah. I just think it's so cool that somebody can make it all the way to the NHL as a referee, man. And, like, like your, your dream was obviously fulfilled. You made it to the show. Now, this is this is I know I know we've gone way over the limit, man, and I appreciate it because I like I said I've I've been so excited to 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 find yeah. out all this insight, Bob. Like it's incredible. So now there there, there must have been players that must that helped you out a lot too in certain games. Oh yeah. Like, like because they're just outstanding leaders for their team. It, was yeah. there anyone that stood out that was like that? That like when you were refing this game, you're almost like relieved because you're like, oh yeah. You know, uh, Mark Messier, he makes things so easy for me. Like, obviously, that's, you know, different, I think, a different time. Oh, I no, I rest Messier. Messier, for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. He was good. He was a good guy. Like, he, when he was mad about something, he'd let you know. But other than that, he'd, he'd tell his players where to go. Like, my first game, when I refed in my first, the, the game in Chicago, my, my first ever game, um, before I dropped the puck, like, just guys like veterans, it was uh, Vincent Dambus and Adam Graves were playing in San Jose and they're come up. They knew it was my first game. They're like, Hey, congratulations. And they tapped me on the shins. And I'm like, Oh, right on. But you get that, the veteran leadership, like Steve Eiserman on the ice, like just that stuff that could, they could just make their team go one way or go the other. So those are the guys you always wanted on your side. And you always want, you know, yeah, you know they could, they could turn the whole tables for sure. Yeah, man. And, and like, Bob, I, I just find it so cool that like you made a comment a few minutes ago about like you know when you when you put your when you put your hand up and and that happened and 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 then you're like yeah I just I, I was just praying that they didn't score and that we could yeah. just go on buddy that's the same lines that a defenseman would say when, when he got beat wide and then oh, tripped yeah. the guy and and got the penalty and he's just you know what I mean like like you guys are it's the same as the players like everybody has a part in this game and every yeah. and it, it, there's a lot of equal parts there's a lot of parts that are different but everybody makes it complete and i just i love the refs like yourself that had the character and that wanted the action because i just found that it just made for such a better game and i appreciate it so much man of you being a part of the game being able to to create what you've created because really it, it's like it's like a wand the referee he creates yeah. the way that he wants this game to go and the, sure. and that he's going to allow a certain amount he's going to be disciplined with this he's going to be soft with that and I just appreciated the way that you would do it buddy so I I wanted to thank you personally for that thank you no it was good yeah and that's the way it should have been that's the way there was a lot of guys that did it that way at the time and that's why the game was so much better back then. And yeah, I, I really wish it would go that way again. 
Yeah, and like, I mean, Bob, the only way that things can change is if it's talked about, you know what I mean? And then awareness, you know, like, leads to action, like we say, yeah. right? But now, I, I, I have a kind of a blunt question for you. So now, do you, do you support people getting involved with the refereeing? Like, do you look at it like it's like, it's something that that needs to be that needs more growth. More people need to get into it. Like, like, are you a supporter of that? Oh yeah, like I I run I run clinic here in Woodstock. Like over the years, I've ran clinics for minor hockey to get more kids involved. It's it's tough and it's sad the way minor hockey has gone because um, the way parents and coaches act, kids are like, I can go. I'd rather go work at Tim Hortons. Like, I don't need this shit. Because I've I've seen minor hockey kids like 15, 14 year old kids get chased out of the arena after the game by parents. Like no one wants to do that. It's not worth it for them, and it's too bad because it's that's. And I said that growing up. I said it's the easiest and the funnest part time job. You're making money and you're skating in in the hockey. You're involved in a hockey game, so it's a lot of fun that way. So and it, it just it's tough because now what they have in a lot of the associations and in minor hockey is guys that weren't very good officials teaching the officials so it's it's making for and and that's a blunt answer because it's it is what it is it's like that's that's what they do and sorry you were a shitty ref so now you're teaching your shitty ways onto little kids and it's making for grooming shitty refs yeah no i I hear you bob so now now one now one follower, not one literally, but somebody that is interested in refereeing, Bob, they're gonna see the promotions for this show. They're gonna be looking forward to it because they want to hear some insight, just like how excited I was to hear this insight. How do they how does one get involved with refereeing, man? Like what's the best thing to do to get into it? If you contact make, Bob Langdon, if you want to make a career out of refereeing, you gotta you gotta First of all, you have to know the rules. Like when I was coming up, I was told by John Wilsey, who was a veteran referee in the OHL and he ref minor pro hockey. And he said, he said, only call the rules, you know. So it's like, oh, that's easy. But you should know all the rules. So know the rules and you got to, it's hard to teach it, but you have to have a feel for the game and you have to, you have to have a flow. And when there's a supervisor, when you're refereeing, when you get into it, start minor hockey, and, and there's a supervisor there watching you after the game, when he's talking to you, just listen. Just listen. Keep your mouth shut because that's what we did growing up. You just shut your mouth. You Internally, you're going to take, you know, what you want to take and the rest just, you know, do what you want with it. But out of respect, and it goes a long way because word of mouth travels that this kid wants to learn. And he's got his mouth shut and he's got his head down and he's working hard. That, it, and it gets around the hockey world, as you know, the hockey world's a small world. And, you know, world word gets around and then you just, you know, you work hard and work hard. Skating's a big thing. And then uh, you get seen. You try to work as many leagues and as many games as you can and you go from there. That's the big thing. And that's pretty much how you did it, right, Bob? You just, you did, there was one year where you did, what was it, 120, 130 games? I think two years in a row I did that. I worked like 100, between 125 and 130 games. And uh, yeah, I worked as many leagues. I worked five or six leagues and I was on the road nonstop and it was nuts. And I thought I'm going to make a go of it. And, you know, it panned out. 
But that's the thing, though. It's like out of all the referees in the world, only like, what, 65 make it to the NHL. So, you know, it's not – it's like a player. Like the percentage isn't there. So you got to be good. You got to be good. You got to be disciplined. You got to be in the right it. place. You got to know the right people sometimes. You got to be lucky sometimes. And, and now apparently it helps if you're an ex-player too. So There you go, buddy. Man – I'm blown away by the insight that I that I received as a guy that played pro. Like, yeah. man, I thought I knew some stuff, Bob, but I didn't. And I learned a lot tonight, man. And it uh-huh. is absolutely incredible. And, like, I know that the listeners, I, I know they probably feel the exact same way, buddy. So this was so cool. This was such a different type of show. And I absolutely loved it, my friend. <laughs> right on. Anytime. It was a lot of fun. And you know what, Bob, the thing is, is that there's there's a few other things that like that I would like to get into with you. Um, but in order to do that, I would need you to come back for a part two. For sure. Anytime. That was good. That was great. I love talking about I don't get to talk about hockey much in the old days because, you know, there's just well, obviously can't do anything now anyway. But, you know, just sometimes when I get into the stories and everything starts coming back and, you know, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. Awesome, buddy. I'm glad that you had fun, man. So I just wanted to thank the listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Sheriff featuring special guest Bob Langdon. We were so happy to have him tonight. He gave us some incredible stories, incredible insight on what it's like to be a National Hockey League referee. So we'll see you next time, guys, on The Sheriff. Woo!